Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member KM190 gets into the details of what made him stand out from his peers in order to make it to investment banking and eventually private equity from a complete non-target. This is a part this is part 2 of a two-part series since we go into a lot of depth. In this segment, we cover his struggle to make the transition from investment banking to private equity as well as his jump from his first PE fund to the one where he currently works. Find out how he eventually broke in and why he left his first private equity fund. Enjoy. So okay, you're 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 at this bank, you're there for a few years. When does the whole private equity recruiting madness start? Do you do on cycle for you know, are you getting recruited six months under the job, eight months under the job? What's what was the what was the, that whole spiel like or did you have to kind of fight for that as well? You know, I think everyone has to fight for private equity jobs mm-hmm. and and look, I think there is a mass hysteria and i'm looking forward to discussing this with you in detail but yes. i think there's this hysteria around private equity and a lot of people have major misconceptions about what this industry is and what the true potential actually is mm-hmm. so i joined the standard recruiting you know cycle six eight months in but to be very open and upfront with you because you know i feel like on wall street oasis there's this misconception that you have to be polished, crystal clear, clear, ready to go in six to eight months or else you're screwed. You know, I wasn't that prepared. And Mm -hmm. so I actually struck out on a lot of my interviews initially. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and you were ready for, you were ready for the paper LBO this time though, I bet. I was ready for the paper LBO. Absolutely. Okay. So go ahead. I at least got that part right. (laughs) But, (laughs) but but look, you know, the, the truth is that it's really the biggest of the biggest funds that are doing and leading the on-cycle process six to eight months in. Right. You then have hundreds and hundreds of really good funds that are pretty flexible. Mm-hmm. I got my offer, you know, in, in my second year. Yep. And so, and I was okay with that. In fact, a lot of my analyst class got their offers in their second year as well. And they were all very good funds in really desirable places. Yep. And And so look, I think... You know, with that, private equity is a little bit different. It's not it's not the same bravado that you see with the bankers. You don't see this. You know, you don't see like the asshole personalities. You just don't see that. Yep. Here, you see much more down to earth people, but mm-hmm. they're much more cerebral, much more intelligent, in my opinion. Okay. And what that means is you really, really have to prime your approach accordingly. You could say, okay, you know, you know your technicals, but you really, really have to know 
everything. Like you have to know the story mm-hmm. and then almost like back into the technicals. It's not about like, you know, okay, I know how to do an LBO. It's kind of like, okay, well walk me through why we're even doing this in the first place. Right. And so, you know, look, you know, some, some free advertising for you, the wall street Oasis PE guide, every person who wants to get into this space, they need that guide. They need to understand because otherwise, I mean, it's such a secretive industry. There's not that much information out there and you don't want to risk kicking in all this data and then, you know, presenting yourself as an interviewee in, in a wrong way or in a way that doesn't really mesh with the reality. No, I appreciate that shout out. I think the other thing we're actually releasing soon that I think is going to be another thing is, is specific deal cheat sheets for people with actually audio of people talking through their deals because you know, almost, almost like a template yes. because one of the most important parts besides knowing the L, you know, if you get an LBO modeling test, yes, you need to do well on it. But the other really key part is being able to speak about your deals like an investor. And so actually sounding intelligent, being able to talk about the industry, being able to talk about the, the strengths, weaknesses, what, what were the risks of the deal, understanding all the, the financials behind it. Yes. All that good stuff, but kind of having a template and, right. and being able to like listen to other people who actually broke into private equity, talk about their deals. We're focusing on getting like that release in the next version and that package. So we're excited about that. But yeah, thank you for the shout out. Um, so that okay. will be incredible because yeah, I'm I mean, excited private for equity it. interviews are, are like 40% talking through your deals. Exactly. So we were like, we're just going to try to compile this like library of, of deals of like deal cheat sheets yeah. and, and audio. So people yeah. talking through it, but um, okay. So you're, you're basically um, you strike out in this first kind of series. Do you think, um, was there, did you feel like you had a good chance? Was it the fact that your bank um, wasn't as strongly represented? Were you striking out like in the first round, second rounds? Can you give me a little more info on that? Of course. Yeah. Look, I think in the very beginning, I had I had four interviews yep. and four different funds. Yep. The first one struck out first round. The second one, it's funny how this works. Second one <laughs> struck out in the third round. Yep. The third one and the fourth one, I struck out in the Super Day. Oof. So, you know, I quickly, I quickly kind of adapted or tried to adapt. And what I noticed actually in private equity interviews is that they're all surprisingly consistent, which is really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, banking interviews have a lot more variability, but private equity interviews, they're going to ask you the same kind of things and they're going to ask you to talk through certain things. And, and there is more of a right answer and more of a wrong answer. I feel like mm-hmm. with this interview process than it, there is with banking. Yep. Um, you also know a lot more, so you're expected to show that. And so, look, the truth is, for every one spot, there are 10 bankers that are eager to get in. And there have been interview processes that I've gone to that, you know, in a super day where I thought I had really good odds, I was sitting in a conference room with 10 or 11 other people that were candidates at that super day, and then the guys are saying, hey, we're gonna hire two people. Right. You know? So it's just so incredibly it's difficult. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult, especially at the larger funds, the mega funds and stuff like that, and where the right. where they they literally have their choice of whatever bankers um, they want. And specifically, exactly. they tend to tap certain groups more than others. So um, completely, and it's kind of like follows the like if you don't have the pedigree from all the way from like elementary school up through it, it can be even harder <laughs> um, right so you didn't ex- exactly fit the mold but um 
Okay, so you still ended up uh, at a great fund, and tell me a little about th- about that process. You continued to you continued to kind of put yourself out there. You knew private equity is kind of what you wanted to do. Was there a reason for that? Did you feel like was it something? Were you just following the crowd? Hopefully, hopefully Wall Street Oasis didn't brainwash you. Um, but uh, <laughs> was it something where you felt like PE is is the end all be all? Or tell me a little bit about that. You know, I had an interesting experience before I even knew much about investment banking. This was probably in my second year of college, so going way back. Yep. And um, my so my dad at the time was heading this very big division of a very big company, and he was responsible for divesting a certain asset within that business to a private equity fund. Mm. And um, what's interesting is, look, I have I have a you know a certain ethnicity that is is not that common in finance. I feel like, mm-hmm. and um, the, the 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 partner of the private equity fund involved in the other end of the transaction also shared that ethnicity. Mm. So there was kind of a natural, you know, there was a natural kind of camaraderie between my dad and, and this partner, and it turned into an actual friendship. And so. You know, very frequently, this guy would actually come over whenever he was in town and come to dinner with us, with with our family. Mm-hmm. And um, we treated him like family, you know. And, yeah. and so this guy, you know, a long time ago, it's funny, I remember now, and it's hilarious thinking about it, but he was always like, you know, Kareem, you should come to the dark side, you should come do finance. And I'm saying, no, no, I want to do pre-med. <laughs> um, but, you know, I had an exposure to to private equity before. Yep. And, and I think that exposure was incredibly valuable uh, because I kind of understood like how these guys think and how they approach because look, the truth is like even in like normal everyday situations, like a private equity guy just naturally, I mean, you could tell like they just, they think a little bit differently. They're a little bit more cerebral. They're a little bit more analytical. Um, Mm -hmm. They'll run math in their head, you know, casually. Um, That's something (laughs) for fun. (laughs) Right. It's weird, but, but it happens. I do it now too. And, Uh And like, and so, look, but I think that that kind of exposure can be replicated. And I think it's replicated through coffee chats and, and just getting getting in front of these people to understand. Yep. Um, okay. and, there's, and there's no shame in saying, hey, like, I don't, you know, I'd like to learn more about what you do. I, I don't yeah. think there's any shame in that. For sure. For sure. So you're, um, you're basically starting this whole, this process, or you're continuing this process because you, you made it to two two super days or two final rounds at these PE funds didn't ended up not getting the offer because the odds are tough. Um, even though you had improved your, your skills your um, of interviewing. So then what was, what was after that? This is already in your, this is kind of like you're turning into your set. You're starting your second year at this point, right? Um, right at the bank. And so you just continued talking to recruiters or how are you getting in front of more shops and how many other interviews did you do? I think this is probably a good time for me to talk about like what I think private equity funds are actually looking for. Sure. So, you know, there is a misconception that because it's so competitive that funds are more likely to pick the higher pedigreed guy. And the truth is, at least from my experience, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It, the, the truth is it's very similar to banking, which is, you know, if you have everyday stats, you know, state school, average GPA, maybe okay bank, um, the best way to, to show that you're the right person for that job is to align yourself with the way of thinking, make sure you frame your resume in a way that is really, really congruent with how they would 
evaluate something, you know, just make sure your presentation is, 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 is very, very synonymous to how they think. But and, what do you what do you mean by that? So like, what you mean specific? Like if they if they specialize in a certain industry, like highlighting any deals you did in that industry, or is it something else? Like you say, congruent with how they think? Is it more like framing your deals a certain way, or how? Would yes. You, okay. It's the number one way to show it in private equity interviews is to just the way that you sh- you talk about your deals, mm-hmm. and at the very end, being sure to say, you know, also what I liked about this and what I didn't like about this. And you know what? I think this would be a good fit for this kind of fund, but maybe not this one. That kind of like knowledge, right? Yeah. And it, it's all about, I mean, the person who succeeds in these kinds of interviews is the one who shows that they have a body of knowledge that they can pull from mm-hmm. that makes them more or less similar to the guys that are interviewing you. Yeah, you know, that's that's what I think. I, yeah, I don't no, think, absolutely. I mean, sure, there, there, there is a correlation between pedigree, but I truly, truly believe that pedigree takes a second it takes a backseat to raw competence and they can test for raw competence pretty easily mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it makes sense if you're able to, if you're showing incredible knowledge about their specific fund their type of investment style their industry and like you're showing a passion for that too and you're you're somehow aligning your previous experience with that it's it's hard to say no it's hard to you know right they're gonna they're gonna be you're gonna probably be in the final round and be given a good shot so okay, um, right. So that's great. So you're you're still interviewing. How did you get this this uh, kind of final one you ended up taking? So I ultimately ended up getting this or the the, the first private equity offer mm-hmm. um, through a a connection at the bank that I had cultivated with uh, okay. cultivated you know my relationship with. So this guy. Um, he headed one of the major groups at the bank and he had a lot of relationships with a lot of sponsors. Okay. And, um, you know, it was funny because he, he kept walking by my, my cube and what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, X, Y, Z fund. And it was almost by accident because every time he'd come by, I was looking at something private equity. (laughs) And, um, you know, I came back from one interview and I remember I was so mad at this one interview because you know, they were, they were checking references and they were doing all these things. And I'm thinking in my, my, my mind, like, okay, this is it. Uh, but then they come back and say, yeah, actually, you know, your references are great, but we're going to go with someone else. Oh. So I was like really mad. And I, and, and I naturally went to him and I was like, listen, you know, look what happened to me. And I think that's like, it was like that one story basically, you know, led him to do a bunch of things behind the scenes. And, and like, I went back to my desk and like within two days, he was seeing me on introductions to people unsolicited. Yeah, um, and that was enough so, to give him, you were right. like, can you believe this? And he's like, he felt bad for you. Then he started pushing you <laughs> to all his, yeah, all his connections. Yeah, it, 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 it was amazing. That's great, uh, man. That's incredible. Like that. That's incredible to get that support because, you know, I know that right. at least at Rothschild, I think they were not happy with me leaving when I did. Yeah, um, more so. of a career track type. Yeah, it was more of like, there, yeah, they wanted you to stay and get promoted to associate and stay on, which is great. I mean, it, I think, it got yeah. done really well there, um, but it was just more like I wanted to get back to Boston. But okay, so you're this yeah. is this is awesome. So you you cultivated that relationship enough where he felt like I'm going to support this guy, and I'm going to. He started seeing you on warm intros, so then it was like you were basically in final rounds almost immediately. I assume for a, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. And look, you know, I'm there's a level of gratitude that I have for being in my seat because. Um, you know, when I got my first offer, mm-hmm. the partner at the fund 
you know, he was very upfront. He said, listen, I don't think we would be chatting and it's not a reflection on you. It's just a reflection on circumstance, but I don't think we would be chatting had it not been for this contact. Of course. Um, yeah. That's what he told me within minutes. Yeah. And it went very positively from there. It was a great team. Um, you know, similar work to what I was kind of doing in banking industry wise. Mm -hmm. And it was a good fit. It was great. That's great. And so you were there for a few years. You, I assume, got some good deal experience um, while you were there. And then you want to tell me a little bit about your thought process in terms of, so you're, you're in a seat. Is it like a two-year program where you feel like you're pressured to move on after two years? Or was it something like potential partner track? And what was the thought process of, hey, maybe it's time to lateral to a new, a new fund? Yeah, so good question. Um, this, this was more of a, look, it was kind of gray area, mm -hmm. which is a little bit frustrating yeah. where, you know, they say, listen, you know, historically we've been two or three and out, but there's always the chance. This is kind of like they're being cute about it. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and look, it, it's, it's interesting how this industry works. Private equity is a very antiquated, almost like dinosaurish type industry. And the largest funds are catching on. The largest funds are retaining talent and they're promoting within. The lower middle market, middle market funds, at least from my experience, I found that they're still more likely to hold on to the whole two and out or three and out. And um, why do you think, I think that it's is ridiculous, especially her? Why do you think that is? I, I don't know. It, it, it escapes logic. It, it really, to me, it escapes logic. Well, maybe they don't, maybe they just want to keep cheap, cheap labor, right? I mean, maybe they don't want to pay people who become principals and associates if the funds they, like. They, yeah, they don't, want, they don't want to give up their economics. Right. Totally. Well, I think but, that's it. But on the flip side, yeah, I mean, sorry, I mean, yeah, on the flip side is like, you know, you have a unique firm. It's a small firm, mm -hmm. um, and I'm not just talking about my other fund, but but yeah. all funds who do this. And it's like you're a small organization. You've invested a lot of your time, energy, and money into training this junior associate. Yeah, why not cultivate him and groom him instead of ultimately realizing that you're going to have to go expand your team and hire from the outside, which is a greater risk higher. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, at least um, make it a three or four yeah. year thing uh, <laughs> if you right. can. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. I think I see it I see it from both angles. I, I agree with you. I think it depends really on fund size and how fundraising is going for the next fund, right? A lot of it right. So if it's a if it's like a five hundred million dollar fund and their fundraising is going really well, so they got some good exits and it's gonna be an eight hundred eight hundred million dollar fund, it's much easier to say, Hey yes, stay on. And it's also about the, the carry pool, right? So do they feel like they're going to have to give you a carry after a couple of years or are they going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to eventually demand a, a bigger title, especially if they bring on some other associates. Right. So, and right in the next fund, are they going to want to give you um, some of that or even have that conversation? So I don't know. It's interesting. Yep. Um, it's interesting that you say, and I guess maybe for the larger mega funds, there's like, there's so much more money and there's so much asset center management that it's like, Oh my gosh. That it's right. just like, they just want that infrastructure there of the, that second level of, of, um, you know, principles and whatnot. Yeah. It's like, it, it's like the dynamic, right. I mean, it, it's like an exponential increase mm -hmm. in your economics, um, with, with minimal increase in headcount, right. you know, relatively speaking. So, but, but look, at, that was the thought process that, that ultimately prompted me to, lateral and and look at the end of the day i think that when when you have enough experience in this industry when you've been exposed to enough things yep um you start to develop a level of, of hard confidence and you start to put boundaries and you start to 
you know, realize like what you are okay with and, and what you're not um, professionally, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of your advancement, because I do hold the opinion and, and that, you know, people that are more senior than you are going to extract as much value as they possibly can from you mm-hmm. for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have to kind of fight that and get what you want as well. And so I was not comfortable with the whole, oh, you know, maybe if you do another year, maybe we'll think about it. I basically went out and within, and this is the beauty of, of being in the space is like when you're in, um, you know, it's, much it's a very difficult space to crack. And yeah. once you're in, you, 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 there's no more pedigree. There's no more nothing. It's basically, okay, he has experience. He's deal, deal reps. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm fortunate to have found a good spot here. Um, but yeah. Now, how was, did you, really how did you do the, the so you, it was basically the vagueness around potential future for you that just said, okay, I need, it's time to move that totally get that it makes hundred percent sense. But how are you exactly. so, you know, in your current seat, how are, how are you doing the diligence in that, in that recruiting process that you wouldn't get, you know, some kind of similar answer or that answer wouldn't slightly change once you kind of accept it at this new place? What gave you that confidence? Was just enough conversations or can you explain how that went down? how you did that research you know private equity i think someone released this stat and they said that there are less people in private equity than there are professional athletes in the world mm-hmm. um it's a very small very small family of people and you know when you're in you have access to virtually anyone through a second or third degree and so in diligencing the current firm I reached out to a good friend of mine. He's actually, you know, very, um, he's a recruiter or was a recruiter at a very large, um, you know, recruiting agency for, for private equity. Mm-hmm. And he basically put me in touch with some investors at this fund. And so I actually Sorry, you broke up some of the, some of the what investors? Some of the ex investors. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I got, I got all the, the positives and I guess I got everything. Great. And so, it was very easy to be confident in the decision. Got it. And did you get more kind of, I guess, hard, hard um, assurances around potential future? And 100%. You did. Okay. And, um, okay. So that makes it, the transition made sense to them for you. It's just, it was kind of a no brainer. You right. had less, less assurance at your previous place. You had a lot more kind of clear path at your, and is it, is this, is this like a partner track potential position then? Definitely. It is. And, okay. you know, there's economics, you know, upside, equity upside in writing. Um, and look, after a while, like, you, you need to start demanding these things. Otherwise, it just doesn't you know, happen. finance, again, if finance is a ruthless industry, like, yeah. if you are comfortable, you will stay where you are. Yeah. Um, and so... They're not going to give you... Know, they're not going to give you stuff you don't ask for. <laughs> right. Because, because ultimately, the way it works in, in PE is, like... You know, in order for the partner to promote you, it means that he is lowering his own boss. Right. That's just how it works. Yep. Um, lowering his overall comp. Yep. So just how the math is. do you mind sharing a little bit from when you went from, you know, banking up to your first fund and now to your second fund? Do you mind sharing um, compensation ranges? Do you don't have to give me exact what you were paid, but just to give us a ballpark of what you're paid as an investment banking analyst. Um, and then at your first fund, and then at, now at this fund, maybe um, some rough carry numbers as well would be helpful. Of course. Mm-hmm. So, look, investment banking, you're going to have, I think, traditionally as a first year, it's like 85 base plus 
whatever, 55 to 75 yep. in bonus. Yep. Um, and then it kind of tears up after that. With private equity, look, it varies across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Lower middle market, um, you know, I'm talking either fundless sponsors up to like 200 million. You're probably talking about, you know, sub 200 in, in, in all in comp. Yep. Um, middle market, you know, two, 200 plus to like call it 600. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you you should expect to break 200 with economics. Yep. Um, you know, oftentimes the cash portion should get you there, and then you have economic you know upside with with um, with carry and co-invest. You think even for pre MBA um, associates, has that become more common? Do you think uh, in recent years, yes. the, the giving carry to pre MBA associates? So. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And how should people I, I, look, how I should people so. think I've about that? I mean, any, how much value do you actually? place on that i mean it's it's probably a small amount of carry and it's that you gotta wait many years you you usually get it if you stay that long you get it when sorry um, you broke up at the end of at the end of your second year got it okay so so look you know the carry um well, i didn't receive carry at my first fund mm-hmm. um here at the at the current fund you know i don't want to give away too much but carry basically happens after being here for a reasonably short amount of time. Okay. Um, and so I don't have too much visibility into what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but look, you know, most funds should give you the option to, you know, co-invest and the, you know, if they're good, they'll give you the option to do a levered co-invest, levered co-invest, very yep. attractive. Yep. Right. And t- can you explain that the a little idea, bit to the listeners? So levered co-invest, basically, I mean, we can use some numbers here, dummy numbers, for example. Let's say that I want to invest $50,000 into a deal that we're looking at. Yep. Um, They give me the option, hypothetically, to do a two-to-one levered co-invest, meaning they will put in 2x the amount that I put in and count it as my going-in principle. So if I put in 50, the Mm -hmm. fund will put in 100. Uh, and that will be a total going in principle of 150. So the 150 Let's will be all under your, under your name. So will the 150 will be your principal. It's almost like a bonus. Right. Oh wow, that's right. amazing. Right, right, right. So you're gonna have 150 going in, mm-hmm. and let's say you know your deal does well, and you have three times. Mm-hmm. So a three times return in, in whatever four or five years. So you're now left with 450 thousand dollars. Yep. That's your your exit consideration, but you now have to repay the initial hundred in the fund's uh, contribution. Got it. And so sometimes funds will either say, "Okay, there's no interest rate attached to it," or maybe there's nominal whatever right. prime rate or something. Wow! So you're getting some um, some cheap money to basically lever up your your principal and participate in a larger in a larger way. Right. That's amazing. So what happens tr- if it goes down? If it goes down, you just lose your capital. Right. Yeah. Got That's it. Exactly right. Got it. Okay. And you're not. You're not. It's it's basically a risk-free way to boost your returns because, um, I mean, look, all, all the numbers are the way they shake out is if you were to do fifty, at three times, mm-hmm. unlevered, you'd have one hundred and fifty. Right. That's great. Yeah. Um, if you did fifty two to one levered co-invest you would end up with 350K in net proceeds after paying back your debt, assuming no interest. Yeah, which is not so bad. So you're going from, right. You're getting over 6X, yeah, you're getting over 6X instead of 3X. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. 
it's wow. it's a multiplier. And look, I mean, it's very significant because um, you're basically working at a place that is also investing your money for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, no need for the stock market or anything. I mean, it's a better return. It's more visibility because you have all the information. Right. Um, and so it's a great perk. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. That would, uh, yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer. As long as as long as you feel like they're making good investments, right? Because <laughs> it could, right. it, you know, being somewhat <laughs> concentrated in the sense of, you know, you're let's say you're putting all your additional capital that you're earning into the co-invest, and then the fund actually turns goes south. Um, you could lose your right. job and uh. your and your co-invest. So, yeah, exactly. Got to diversify exactly. a little bit. But anyways, um, anything else before uh, wrapping up? Any other? kind of words of wisdom you would give your younger self or to these listeners that, um, that are kind of interested in kind of following your footsteps? Yeah, uh, a few things. Mm-hmm. So the first thing, you know, when you look at my story and you look at other stories, I don't think my story is that unique. I think what has consistently differentiated me, and I feel it's differentiated me, is the way that I present and the way that, you know, uh, I try to find some congruence between myself and the person interviewing me or the firm interviewing me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to make it as an easy sell as possible for them. And, uh, you know, I try to align myself and try to basically be an insider or give off the impression that I'm an insider um, as much as possible so that it maximizes my chances. I think that approach has worked. Yep. And, you know, the act of selling yourself effectively, I argue, is much more important than prestige. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's really, I mean, if, if, if the, the standard idea of, oh, prestige beats everything is true, then I don't think a guy like myself would be in this position. Correct. Um, just respectfully saying, you know, mm-hmm. I think too, you know, people really have to, I mean, this can, I, I can't say this enough. People really need to isolate the noise and the hysteria of wanting to get into investment banking and private equity and really understand if it makes sense for them. You know, you can't be doing something just because everyone else is doing it. You know, the truth is private equity was an incredible vehicle back in the 80s and early 90s -hmm. when not that many people were doing it. But now you have hordes and hordes of people going into it thinking, oh, I'm going to make my riches too. Right. But the truth is, you know, in finance, historically, if you read all the major books, you know, the people that have made outsized wealth, significant wealth, are the ones that have been contrarians. They're not the ones following the pack. So you're so saying you're stay in banking. Equity, <laughs> you're saying stay in banking and get quickly promoted up through the ranks. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> there. It's a, yeah, there's but, some truth to that. I've been I've been saying it. The pendulum has swung so far for PE. I mean, yeah, there's there's an argument to be right. made. If you're super sharp and you're good at sales, stay in banking and make it rain. Right. But anyways, Look, so go ahead. It, it, and, and and the truth is, I'm seeing so many people that are so hyper eager and so it's almost like they're desperate to break in. Right. And they're going to do anything they can to break in. You know, Goldman. I think some question came up in one of their interviews. It's like, hey, like, would you let me sleep with your girlfriend if we gave you a job? And some people were like laughing about that on Wall Street Oasis. But mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's a joke, but but it, the truth is like th- there's some element of reality to that, right? Yeah. People are so desperate to get these jobs. And and the beauty of private equity, and, and I'm, I'm really thankful for this, is that you get a lot of exposure. And I see a lot of founders. I see a lot of people that, have made significant amounts of money doing things that 
are just completely un- unconventional. I mean, look, I'll give you an example. I have you know someone that I know in my network mm-hmm. who started an e-commerce store that sells bracelets and cheap earrings, and <laughs> he he somehow found a cult following on social media. The guy's a very good social media guy, and he got this thing to go viral. He kept it for a number of years, mm-hmm. and he recently sold it for a one hundred million dollar plus valuation to one of the big department stores. Unbelievable. And this guy has no finance background, has no whatever, yep. you know, and then there are countless management presentations that we've attended. And it's funny because we're over here, the private equity guys, we're the ones giving these founders liquidity. And I can tell you stories and stories and stories of people making 100 plus, 200 plus million, all this crazy stuff, doing the weirdest things. Yeah. And so people, you know, you have to realize like, as you grow older, there's an opportunity cost and it keeps going up exponentially. And you have to know what you're doing five steps ahead or else you're stuck. Yeah. And if, if the goal is money, there are a million ways to make money. Yeah. Private equity is the safe way. Investment banking is the safe way. You will work extremely hard. Yeah, to earn this that. is not an industry that yeah. is like nine to five. It's not nine to six. It's, it's really like a nine to nine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so you have to keep that in mind. Are you willing to do that until you're 45 or 50? Because that's what it takes in order to make anywhere near the amount of wealth that you're probably envisioning as, you know, a very naive undergrad thinking, <laughs> oh, I'm going to go in and make millions. Like, right. you're going to work for that, you know, and yeah. you may not even get there. Yeah, you may get a great so, gray beard like myself doing it, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> we're all we're all getting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you a little bit later than me, but yeah, you'll be there one day soon. Um, yeah. Cool, man. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time. This is officially the longest podcast, but I think one of the most insightful. So thank you for for taking the time um, to really share your knowledge. And and yeah, let's stay in touch, man. Absolutely. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.